You are listening to the Tri-Quarter Transmissions Episode 180. And now, here are Jeff and Ian. to the Tricorder Transmissions. We are covering Gold Key Comics, issue number 28 today, The Mimicking Menace. I'm your host, Jeff Hewlett, and with me, as always, is my co-chair for the Gold Key series, Mr. Ian Adams. How are you, Ian? Doing good, man. I'm uh, almost ready to go home. Eight more days. Yeah, I've been following your tweets about your uh, disembarking from the ship and heading back home to the uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I can't wait. I just can't wait. <laughs> it's yeah. been four months. I'm ready to go home. I don't blame you. How long are you going to be home for before you redeploy? Uh, Probably about a month. Hmm. It's and not too long. Your next commission is hopefully going to be a ship that's actually out at sea? That's the idea. All right. Do you have any choice in that, or is that something that just happens? It's pretty much something that just happens, like uh, whenever, you know, whatever jobs come up. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, we all wish you luck, and I'm sure our listening audience wishes you luck as well in finding the the right ship for you. And we'll keep everybody out there posted on Mr. Ian's status as uh, things develop. But before that happens, we have another issue of Gold Key to talk about today. And yes, uh, this is interesting. We have another new writer, uh-huh. uh, Mr. George Cashton. Um, we'll talk a little bit about him, start out with. He was born in May of 1928 and unfortunately passed away about 10 years ago, uh, June 3rd of 2006. He was an American comic book writer primarily working on DC comics, created a few memorable characters, uh, Tommy Tomorrow, Misto, Magician Detective, and some others. He was also a screenwriter for some animated TV shows like The Mighty Hercules and the Superman Aquaman Hour of Adventure. He wrote 10 issues of Star Trek Gold Key Comics, this being the first one, and he will not pen another one until issue number 47, entitled This Tree Bears Bitter Fruit, which features Mr. Doug Drexler, who should be very familiar with to all of you Star Trek fans as a story consultant on that issue. Uh, Ian, do you have any additional notes about uh, Mr. Cashton? Uh, no. Um, I did think it was, it was interesting that, uh, that he worked on so much of the, on so much of the gold key uh, comics and that he, he joined in so late in the game, but yeah, nothing really uh, stand out about him, I guess. Yeah, well, I yeah, it's interesting that he he did one issue here in the in the 20s and then he didn't come back until the high 40s and then he was he did 9 from 47 uh, all the way up to near the end. So he did 9 issues very late in the Gold Key 60 some odd issue run. So um I wonder what the gap was about. Maybe he had other work in the middle. That there. would that would be my guess. I mean, it does seem like the guy was pretty prolific. Hmm. And um, you know, I mean, he's a he's a capable writer, so I can imagine him getting uh, getting enough work to keep him busy at the time. Yeah, I would think. 
So let's see, speaking of uh, work at the time, we still have our artist, Alberto Gialetti, cover art again by Mr. George Wilson. Very interesting cover. We'll be talking about that in a second. Mm -hmm. This issue was published in January of 1975. Uh, 25 pages. Uh, Starting star date is 3421.7, as always in the 2260s. So moving on to the cover. So this cover is interesting to me for several different reasons and i'm sure you have many of your own ian the one for me is the orange shuttlecraft yeah that was a bit unexpected yeah it definitely looks like a star trek shuttlecraft but it's definitely the wrong color i love how it had the inside of the door is reflective yeah and and i also like the uh like right where the the hinge for the door is, it looks like there's some kind of winch. Yeah, I I noticed it. Does it looks like I wasn't sure what that was, but it definitely looks like a winch. Now that you say that, uh, it looks like like one of the ones that we would have out here on deck. Um, and I wonder what it's for, like, because it it doesn't look like it's hooked up to the door or anything, right? No, it definitely does not. And it, yeah, I, I have no idea what that would. Be. I guess it's positioned in such a way where you could pull the rope through the doorway and pull yeah. something in. Maybe they had some heavy equipment and they would use that pulley to, or that, that, uh, that winch to pull the stuff back in after they pulled it out. Yeah. Maybe, uh, it's crossing the streams a little bit, but maybe it's the kind of thing like, uh, they use, you know, to lower Spock down and into darkness. Well, there you that, go. Into the volcano, you know? All right. Yeah. Maybe it's, cool. maybe it's for that kind of thing. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Very good. And, uh, you know, did you notice that between Spock's legs, there looks like a thing that might almost could look like a gas pedal sticking up there? It's got like oh, a little yeah. arc there and a pedal on it. Ah. I wonder if they have like a foot throttle on the Galileo in the comic books. That would be awesome, actually. Give it more gas, Mr. Spock. I would get a real kick out of that. Yeah, well, you never know. I mean, it might be a, this may be more of a, well, I think it's the Galileo we're going to find out. So it's definitely not a, a pr- more primitive version of the shuttlecraft. But that phaser is way off. Yeah, I was I was looking at that and it, and it like it mostly looks like the Klingon disruptor. It does just a little shorter. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't have those wise. like um, grill things on the sides. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Towards yeah. the, the end of the barrel. But that that was my first thing was like, wow, that looks really kind of Klingon. But then it also it kind of looks like, um, I don't know, like a Luger or something that just had a bunch of stuff sort of tacked onto it. Uh, Yeah. Well, at least it's black and not pink. There is that. (laughs) I think inside we're back to the pink ones. But but at least on the cover, the color's right. The appearance is wrong. But I really like the uh, the the enterprise crew member who's being blasted by Spock is disintegrating before our eyes. I love how he's semi-transparent in his abdominal area. I thought that's a really cool effect. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of those covers that really shows off uh, George Wilson's ability. Oh, for Um, sure. From, from that to the reflectiveness and the thing to just the, the billowing clouds and, and the figures themselves look great. Uh, it's just, I really, really enjoy this guy's artwork. Yeah, this is, I have to say, this is probably one of my most favorite covers in Gold Key so far. I think this is just so well done. Besides the phaser 
being incorrect and the color of the shuttlecraft being off, those things put aside. Everything else about this is really cool. The action is cool. I love the whatever that thing is, those sparkles that are yeah. there that are connected by beams of light. Well, it's definitely not something that's being caused by the phaser fire because uh, it's not connected with the phaser fire in any way. So we don't really know exactly what that is, but I think it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. So you have different colored sparkling spheres as purple ones and yellow ones and orange ones and reddish ones. And I think the one on the top right is greenish. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks tell. like that. But they're connected by thin beams of white light. So is this an alien? Is this some sort of effect that's being caused by the phaser blast? Because the the guy on the ground who I'm assuming is supposed to be Kirk, he looks almost like Kirk. Yeah. It looks like he's ducking out of the way of the phaser blast, or is he ducking out of the way of this sparkling entity thing that we're seeing here? Maybe a little column A, a little of column B. Hmm. Hmm. And it looks like he's yelling at Spock. It does, actually, now that you mention it. It does look like he's yelling. He's uh, Either he's yelling to be spared or he's yelling for help. We're not sure. Yeah. Which. And an erupting volcano in the background. Right. You, you can't fall an erupting volcano it's always no. action when there's an erupting volcano <laughs> which is which is why they have the winch on the galileo boom boom <laughs> maybe this is connected to that star trek movie in a way yeah maybe um and it does kind of look just it looks like the guy being disintegrated like it could be kirk he's got the same hair hmm. style true you see that little uh, kind of tuft on, on the end, and but yeah. on the other hand, though, I mean, there's it's there's not enough detail to him, and he's kind of fading out, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, and you know, this is kind of spooky about that guy too, is that his eyes are pure white. There's no pupils at all. Right. You look at the the guy in the bottom. There's clearly you can see where he's looking, but that guy who's being disintegrated looks like there's no life in his eyes. He almost looks uh, spectral or uh, almost zombie-ish in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's strange. I love the position of his hands, though. Uh, kind of like thrown back and, and gnarled a little bit. Uh, as if he's right. like, recoiling in pain from the phaser blast. That's really neat. I like that. Very well done. Yeah, it's just just a great composition. Absolutely. And, of course, we have a couple words on the cover here, <laughs> which, uh, getting into the issue, I'm not exactly sure these were Right or not, but it says dead planet or deadly. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, we don't know. This is foreboding, but once we get into the issue, I don't think, well, the first part is not correct, but the second part, the deadly part, is right. So, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Anything else you want to say about the cover before we jump inside? No, let's uh, let's get to it. Okay, so everybody, we are about to start with spoilerish conversation. So if you want to stop us now and read the issue, feel free to do that. It means we are going to start talking about the teaser page for this issue in three, two, one. All right. So it's always a coin flip in this gold key series whether or not the teaser page will match the cover. In this case, it sort of kind of does. There's some similar action going on. Um, the shuttlecraft is not present in this, but uh, and the volcano is still there, but it's not erupting. Uh, Spock is in it, and I'm assuming the guy in the background 
is Kirk by the dialogue that's here. And we also see a a, a red-dressed Starfleet female officer with long blonde hair who is not Janice Rand. We don't know who she is yet. Doesn't look familiar. And Spock and McCoy, I guess, in the foreground here, having a little bit of a conversation. And Spock is telling McCoy not to argue with him and fire his phaser. Shoot or they'll kill us. And McCoy says, but how can I destroy my own captain? Kill Kirk? Hmm. So we don't know exactly what's going on here, but it seems as if Kirk and this red shirt female officer have turned against Spock and McCoy for some reason or another. Did you did you feel like just about all of the people in this frame are positioned very awkwardly? Yeah. Uh, I mean, from Spock, he's he looks like he's about to fall over. Yeah. Um, he's bent around. McCoy's he's, about the only. You think McCoy looks right? I thought the Kirk in the background looked pretty decent, but I thought Spock, McCoy, and the female officer all kind of had these strange sort of kind of leans and twists that they're doing, um, especially Spock, of course, but I thought that the female officer was holding her phaser a little strange, and she's got her other hand kind of stretched out almost in a modeling pose, like you'd see in a you know a fashion magazine or something. Yeah, the poses are very weird in this. Um, and, and the Kirk is, he's kind of, um, how to explain it? Like he's, it's like his hips are, and, and his hips alone are, are thrust behind him. Hmm. And so he's, his, his legs and his chest are like both forward. And it, 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 I don't know, it kind of creates an odd look to my eyes. Hmm. All right. Well, we can go with everybody looks a little bit strange. Yeah. in this shot in that case which never happens in cold key not no never <laughs> never 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 um so i one thing I'd, i i it jumped out to me immediately is that kirk and whoever this female officer are are channeling their inner stormtrooper because that's right. pretty close range and both of them are clearly missing their targets <laughs> by a wide yeah. margin so uh and they're both shooting directly at the ground not at the chest level or the head level. Um, both of their phaser blasts are clearly hitting the ground near Spock and yeah. McCoy's feet. Like the, like the phasers are too heavy or something for them yeah. to even properly aim it. Yeah. So we have no idea what's really going on here. And I, I don't think the blurb in the upper right is much help. I'll go ahead and read that out to you guys. Now it says, what form can life take? In an infinite universe, it can take infinite forms. Now, as the crew of the Enterprise seeks to learn about a wandering asteroid, it is confronted with an unsuspected life form that turns Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Calder against the others. So first of all, from the cover, I thought it was a planet. Now you're telling me it's an asteroid. So we've got a little right. disconnect there between the cover and the inside. Uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of a thing that... Uh seems to happen a lot in gold key is they, they use the, the words planet and asteroid kind of interchangeably. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some, there's some issues here with this asteroid coming up very shortly, which I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun <laughs> talking about. Oh yeah. But so I guess this red shirt that we're seeing here, this red shirt female officer is Lieutenant Calder. 
So we'll find out a little sure bit seems more. seems to be. Her. Yeah, I don't know who else they could be talking about. There's only four people. And that's actually also a little bit inaccurate as well. There are other officers in here that turn against Spock and crew. So um, although they are unnamed, I suppose. So it wasn't worth mentioning yeah. in a blurb. But um, anything else about the teaser page? Or are you ready to jump in? Well, let's let's jump in because this page was uh, it kind of didn't mesh well. Like it, you get set up with the cover really well, and then and then the teaser page just I kind of feel like it fell flat when compared to the cover. Yeah, it's almost like it was unnecessary after seeing the cover. I think the cover gives you a good idea of what's going on. I, it's almost like a a repeat that didn't need to be there. Yeah, and and it felt like if they had just started on you know the next page instead, um, it it would not have hurt at all. Mm-mm. No, so. We're starting out with a captain's log here, like we do all the time, and I'll read that out now. It says, Captain's Log, Stardate 3421.7. The wandering asteroid, Tactus 2, is now below the Enterprise. Question, does the asteroid pose any threat to the Federation? Since when do asteroids pose a threat to the Federation? But anyway, to the entire Federation. Uh, one asteroid. <laughs> but at any rate... Peace and stability. <laughs> it's a Klingon asteroid. So the Enterprise is intercepting a wandering asteroid, Tactus 2, and a visual survey of the asteroid reveals that a volcano is there on the surface, but Mr. Spock reports that it is inactive, it's dormant. Sensors are showing some minor movement on the surface, and Spock suggested the movement might be caused by wind currents or or ground tremors. Hmm, Some questions there. But Kirk decides that they must find out for sure whether life exists on the asteroid. So he orders a landing party to be formed. A blonde female lieutenant suggests that they take a shuttlecraft instead of using the transporter as the shuttle will be able to carry down the larger biodetection unit to the surface to search for life. I don't know why they couldn't beam that down, but okay. The oh, captain. I have, I have other things to say about that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the captain agrees and orders that two crew members from security join himself, Spock, and this female lieutenant to the hangar deck. So they board the shuttlecraft Galileo and fly down. They arrive on the surface of the asteroid at the base of this dormant volcano. Spock uh, takes some scanners and uh, says that the uh, there's a life-supporting atmosphere on this asteroid. A couple more questions about that one, but we'll get there. The exit ramp opens up and Kirk steps out to take a look around. He's surprised to see immediately uh, outside the shuttle is an exact duplicate of the shuttlecraft Galileo sitting right there. They scan it with their sensors and confirm that the shuttle is an exact duplicate of their own. And, of course, the two security guards are sent to investigate the other shuttle. Yes. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, Kirk's like, "Mm, yeah, you know what? We've we've been around enough. Uh, Spock and I are going to hang back. You guys go check that out. <laughs> so uh, uh, you know it does kind of pay to 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 mention that this is really isn't Kirk's typical approach, but that's okay. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So the the security guards are approaching the shuttle, and all of a sudden, the dormant volcano erupts, spewing lava and magma and rocks all over the place. Kirk yells to the security team to enter the duplicate shuttle since they're closer to that than they are to the real 
Galileo in order to avoid the lava flow, which is coming down the face of the volcano towards them. So they enter the shuttle and are immediately knocked out by strange dancing lights. So two exact duplicates of the security team are actually inside of the shuttlecraft and the imposters pick up the dropped communicator and report back to Kirk and Spock that the shuttle is in fact abandoned and they're preparing to lift off. So back on the real Galileo, Spock discovers that their Galileo is completely without ion power. It's been completely drained. So the ship is unable to take off. The lava overtakes the shuttlecraft and carries it a little bit down the mountainside and across the landscape until suddenly the volcano just stops erupting and the lava immediately stops and strangely cools off pretty much instantly. So Kirk and Spock watch the duplicate shuttle fly directly into the crater of the active volcano, not back to the Enterprise or um, back to rescue them, as yeah. they, they thought it might. <laughs> so uh, Kirk radios the other shuttle and asks if they lost control, and one of the imposter security guards answers, no, Captain, our scanners show that entry into the volcano was safe, and they are going to do some reconnaissance that will help explain the event. So the second shuttle lands inside the crater out of the view of the Galileo. So the imposters remove the unconscious crew members from the craft, and then the shuttle is absorbed by the same lights that attack the security team, and the imposters start traveling down the mountainside to meet the remaining crew in the Galileo. So we're going to stop here. For you guys out there, this was page, uh, was it three through ten of the issue? So we're stopping on page ten. We'll pick back up at page eleven. So let's roll all the way back to page three. And I was a little confused by panel three, Ian. And as I read the rest <laughs> of the comic, I figured out what they meant. But Kirk says something about there being nothing but a cold lava field, and Spock says temperature readings all negative i and i wasn't sure yeah. if he meant that he wasn't getting any temperature readings or <laughs> that they were all in the negatives as far as you know being you know below zero or below you know so right uh if they are in fact below zero then the landing party is very very ill-equipped <laughs> yeah. you know clothing wise to right. deal with that type of temperature. So, and we've, we've seen previous gold key issues go way out of their way to introduce specialized suits and apparatuses for dealing with extreme cold. In fact, a couple of issues ago, we yeah. had them land on a planet that was pretty much an ice ball and they had special suits they had to wear with the turtle people. Right. So that's why it kind of threw me off. Were you confused by that at all? Yeah, that one did. And, and, I'm still kind of unsure what he means because, I mean, it would be weird to not get any temperature readings at all. Like of all things that they should be able to at least be able to detect that. You would think. And since temperature, okay, we're going to get a little science wonky here. Since temperature is essentially a measurement of motion, then the fact that in the next panel they're detecting movement should mean that they should be able to detect temperature. One would assume. Or, or at the very least, just, uh, you know, the, the light that they're getting off of it. You know, I mean, if they're able to detect infrared or anything like that, 
they should get some sort of temperature from that. So yeah, I, I'm, and then on the, on the other hand, like you said, if it's too cold, then, you know, that landing party is in for a heap of trouble. Mm-hmm. You ain't kidding, especially if they wind up getting stranded there. So panel five on the same page, this really, this Spock line threw me for a loop. I had to read it five or six times and I still don't get it. So, <laughs> yeah. So Lieutenant Calder is, says that um, Spock's sensors revealing movement, minor movement, is hardly a suggestion that there's life on the planet. And Spock replies, quote, not a logical deduction, Lieutenant. Does movement itself signify life? Philosophers have not resolved that yet. End quote. Yeah. Couple things. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that's more of a <laughs> that's more of a, a, a problem to be resolved by scientists mm-hmm. than philosophers. You would right? think. when you're looking for what are what are the criteria that we, you know, assign to life to be able to tell it from non-life, you know, things like metabolizing and, you know, replication, stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, the philosopher thing. But then also, it is a logical deduction that she made. Like, minor movement does not suggest life automatically. Like, she is completely 100% correct, and yet Spock's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no one ever said i move therefore i am so <laughs> right you're way off lieutenant <laughs> yeah oh, God. so this this little back and forth prompts kirk to want to go down to the planet of course to the to the planet that seems uh empty and devoid of life or the asteroid Which, rather yeah which which never ever happens. And you know, let me ask you because I am not <laughs> as well versed science wise and space wise as you and our other awesome co host Claire Little are. Asteroids don't have volcanoes on them, do they? Well, they can if they're big enough. Um, but I mean, we've never detected one that you know has hmm. a volcano on it. But I mean, in theory, right? They can get pretty big um so the dwarf planet series in the belt uh, of our solar system that is you know and it's like round like a dwarf planet and but for the longest time it was classified as an asteroid because it was in the asteroid belt mm-hmm. and there's some uh you know interesting uh geological stuff i want to say there's um i want to say there's evidence of volcanism in the past on there but uh don't quote me on that but I know that it does have some really interesting, you know, geographical figure um, features or geological fi- features. So I, I mean, I would say that if it's if it's large enough and if it's getting energy from somewhere, then yeah, you could have a volcano. Okay, cool, good. That's why we have Ian on the show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so page four, panel one. I like this little bit of um, inaccurate naming here, because Lieutenant Calder calls the shuttlecraft a shuttle ship. Yeah, <laughs> and I kind of thought we were through with that. I I'd seen we've seen shuttlecraft in the comics before, so maybe it's just yeah. the new writer. Just and and which is odd because, like, one of the things about this issue, I I thought was that everything looked right. Mm-hmm. 
and generally speaking, all of the terminology was uh, at least in the right ballpark. Yep. So, yeah, a, a shuttle ship, you would have thought by now, especially if they're, you know, at the point where, where they've got everyone's personalities down, they've got, uh, you know, all of that stuff, then you would think that they would have known that it was a shuttle craft. Yeah, I like, though, in the next panel that they give you a little bit of a, a, a nibble of something that's going to come into play later on. Because I, when I read it the first time, I scratched my head about why they mentioned the fact that the engines were ion powered on the shuttlecraft. I'm like, why are they even mentioning that? And then you realize, okay, wait, they're setting me up for something right? <laughs> later on in the comic book. Uh, Cause I don't think, did we ever know in the original series that the shuttlecraft had ion powered engines? I don't believe so. I don't think mm. they ever really mentioned. They they might have in Galileo Seven. Don't remember, but I I I feel like it was just uh, you know powered by plutonium. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> you were just expected that there was some sort of bit of machinery that made the engines work. And so if the engines are down, then whatever that machinery is and whatever that fuel supply is and all that uh, was just somehow not working. And so they would just sort of cover it up with well the engines are down or whatever you know because yep. that, that kind of seemed to be the um the way that they operated in the original series you know from next generation on you had you know the introduction of techno babble but um even in the in the writer's bible for the original series you know there's explicit sort of warnings against techno babble yep and so that's that's why a lot of the technology in you know, the original series was not really well-defined. Right. They didn't want to bog the audience down with that. They wanted to focus more on the story. Right. Which I think was part of the magic of the original series. But yeah. Um, speaking of the magic of the comic books. <laughs> now, I, I, I stand corrected on the fact that there may be asteroids that have volcanoes. But are you going to also tell me that there are asteroids that can support human life? That would be tough. Uh, I mean... Anything small enough to be an asteroid is going to have, unless it's like just super duper dense, but then, you know, so, okay. Anything, let me rephrase it then. Anything not massive enough to be a planet and thus is an asteroid, that low mass means that it wouldn't be able to hold on to its atmosphere if it had one. If it had an atmosphere at all, it would be really thin. Hmm. Right. So there wouldn't necessarily be such a thing as an M-class asteroid. I wouldn't think so. No. So you couldn't just step out of your shuttlecraft and breathe normally. No, no. I, you know, if I were them, I would have had a spacesuit on. Either that, or I would have just rewritten it so that it's like a rogue planet or something. Yeah, that's that's what I would have been expecting in this because they're treating this asteroid as if it was a planet. Although the, the right. whole issue only takes place on a tiny piece of it. You know, they're just in front of this volcano pretty much the entire time. It was like they only had one soundstage. <laughs> uh, page six, panel six. Nice lettering on the shuttlecraft there. I love it says Galileo on it. Yeah. Little cursive writing. It looks really nice. Nice detail on the side of the shuttle. And I like the inside of the shuttlecraft on the panel before that. Yeah, which, which looks like the shuttle. Um, did you notice, though, mm -hmm. that on the outside... It seems to be shuttle number one. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Look at that. NCC 1701 slash one. Yeah. Which I, I thought was weird because, you know, they got Galileo right. 
and and in previous right like we've seen Alberto Giolitti get the correct shuttlecraft number you know on the Galileo so yeah, I wonder what that was about hmm yeah, I don't know it's inconsistency yeah inconsistency again that's a shame but, but the shuttlecraft it looks great really looks great yeah um and and another sort of art thing uh that I noticed was that in this issue everyone has the delta shield on their uniforms which was something that oh, the last yeah. few issues I'd been noticing Giolitti was not including when he was drawing that slapped I guess yeah maybe yeah look at that I'm I'm just kind of going through the pages here yeah look at them all yeah yeah like consistently on every page Good eye. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. Yep. Look at that. There, there they are. Uh, anything else before we move along? Or? Yeah. Did you did you pick up on this and 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 did it sort of stand out as kind of odd to you? Like so, uh, page four, the very first uh, panel, and Calder saying, "Captain, since our ship's scanners fail to reveal normal life signs, can we use a shuttle ship?" And take a larger biodetection unit. Why would, <laughs> why would any biodetector that you could take on a shuttle be larger than the one that you would have built into the Enterprise itself? I guess, and it's something so big that they have to load it into the shuttle crap. Maybe that's what the winch is for. Well, that could be, yeah. To deploy the biodetection unit, and they couldn't. Apparently, they couldn't beam it down. Um, but yeah, it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't have the best biodetection unit connected to the Enterprise. It would be sitting in a storage room somewhere. Right. Oh, like, I would think that if if you could rewrite that panel, it would make more sense to rewrite it so that she's suggesting that you're just taking a, a biodetection unit closer to it to get, you know, a closer reading. Sure. To, to maybe get something. And, and that would completely make sense to me. Yeah, or they could use the old standard chestnut that uh, there's something in the atmosphere of the asteroid that's preventing them from getting an accurate reading, so they have to go to the surface right. to do it, right? I mean, how many times have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, may, maybe ionization in the atmosphere. There you go. There you go. So plenty of things they could have done um, but didn't. So we're really getting into this rewriting gold key every time we talk about it, aren't we? Which is, which is kind of half the fun for me, honestly. <laughs> Let's see. Anything else before we jump on to the next section? Oh, oh, yeah, there was one thing. Page eight. It was a really subtle thing. But that first panel, when you're looking at the exterior of the Galileo, did oh, you notice yeah. they made it black because they were talking about the scorched paint? Oh, right. And then they actually show it. And I thought that was like... Uh, it's kind of a neat thing to see, and and it's consistent because even even in the next panel, it's that same color, and in all the previous panels, it's kind of a mixture of, uh, you know, uh, dark green and and white. Yeah, and it continues. The inside, at least, is still green. Yeah, you can see in the pre in the next panels. So I thought that was just like a, a really subtle but nice touch. Yeah, I agree. And if you go to page um, nine and where you see the shuttlecraft landing or the duplicated shuttlecraft rather landing right. inside the volcano it's back to this one is green and white and yeah. i i should probably point out since it's mentioned and we didn't really talk about it much uh on pages nine and ten you get a view of this entity 
that is uh, consuming things or consuming the or duplicating the people and consuming the energy. Oh yeah. Uh, especially on page ten, you get uh, panel three has a very big depiction of this thing, and it looks like you know small round shiny nodules connected by strands in sort yeah. of a geometric form. It look it looks like the thing on the cover. It certainly does, in, to a larger scale. So it looks like we are dealing with another one of Jeff's favorite non-humanoid aliens. Yes. So uh, <laughs> points to this issue for that. I kind of <laughs> like that. So we're going to see a lot more of these things. And there's a cool shot of it consuming the duplicated shuttle there on yeah. page 10, panel 2. So yeah, you see I the shuttle kind of partially... I want to say derezzed because I'm such a Tron fan, but that's not what's happening here. Uh, it's disintegrating, I guess, before our eyes and being consumed. So I kind of like that too. So, all right. Well, anything else? No, that's that's all I had for that section. All right. So moving on, of course, as uh, happens in many Star Trek episodes and comic issues, the communicators are dead. So yeah. Kirk finds that his communicator is not working. And, of course, the shuttlecraft has no power, so the shuttlecraft's communication system is out, so they can't contact the Enterprise. So Spock is left to try to make repairs while Kirk and Lieutenant Calder go to meet the security team they see coming down the outside of the mountain, which is kind of suspicious, because why didn't they just fly the shuttle back down? But uh, on the Enterprise... Scotty is puzzled by the lack of communications from the landing party. And my God, shouldn't they be used to not getting communications from a landing <laughs> yeah. party by now? Every <laughs> landing party gets out of communication somehow. Yeah, you'd, you'd think they'd just be like, uh, oh, I guess their communications are down again. Yeah, something's <laughs> got them. Yeah, something yeah, bad's going uh, on. We, All right. We better send another shuttle down or uh, something. Okay. <laughs> so Scotty, uh, in a questionable move in my mind instead of sending security guards down to check it out scotty himself and dr mccoy right. down to the surface so yeah, two more senior uh, officers uh being yeah. down to the surface and leave lieutenant sulu in charge of the ship which i really like uh, that's yeah. pretty cool so kirk and lieutenant calder meet up with the imposter security guards and kirk is questioning them when the strange alien lights appear and knock him and Lieutenant Calder out. Duplicates of Kirk and Calder materialize, and the four imposter characters go to the Galileo to get Mr. Spock, and they are taunting Spock and trying to get him to come outside to tell him what's going on, and as the lights are trying to absorb Mr. Spock, he runs away because of his Vulcan physiology, is able to... Sorry. He is able to overcome the effects long enough to get back inside the shuttle. Why they can't go in the shuttle after him, I don't know. But at that moment, Scotty and Dr. McCoy beam to the surface, and as they approach the Galileo, the imposter landing party begins firing phasers at them. So from the hatchway of the shuttle, Spock is yelling for McCoy and Scotty to shoot the imposters, and Scotty and McCoy are confused uh, because they're being asked to fire on their fellow officers and captain, but they draw their phasers anyway and prepare to fire. So this was a short brief section. <laughs> this was pages 11 through 14. We're going to stop here because this is the logical break in the comic as well. So we'll have a quick little discussion here. So one thing I really like, and I said this 
already, but I want to just revisit it for a second, is that Scotty puts Sulu in charge. So I love that the chain of command is being followed here, even in right. the Gold Key comics. We've seen Scotty left in charge. So here we have the question, who gets left in charge when everyone and Mr. Scott is off the ship? So naturally, we would know it would, be follow, it would fall to Sulu on the show. So nice to see that it falls to Sulu here. A nice little touch. Yeah. <laughs> So page 11, panel five, Lieutenant Calder. I like this. Uh, it gives us a little bit of a description. This is good for people listening who haven't read the comic or haven't seen this. Lieutenant Calder says the lights and the alien look like a protein uh, molecule. What is the exact wording here? A protein, protein molecule, molecule chain. chain. Yeah. It kind of does. Kind of. Sort of, kind of. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it looks... <laughs> It looks enough like one, uh, how to put it? You know what it looks like to me? It looks like if you had Tinker Toys that lit up. Yeah. You the little wheels and the sticks that connect them together. You connected a bunch of them to look like kind of a web and then plugged it in and lit it up. That's kind of what it looks like to me. And for our younger listeners, Tinker Toys were toys that we had back in <laughs> the Dark Ages made of wood. They were made of wood. I, I, I wonder if they still make them. And if they still make them, they've got to be plastic by now. Uh, probably by now, yeah. Mm, they were great wooden yeah. toys, though. I loved them. I loved them. But yeah, they, they look as much like a protein chain as they behave <laughs> like a protein chain. <laughs> Which is to say that they, um, they, they bear a passing resemblance well, that's about it all right well she's trying to put it into words that we can relate to some sort of science yeah. i guess right um, so th page 13 panel two spock says funny i f uh, funny feel dizzy weird to me that he would say that out loud and weird to me that he would use the word funny yeah seems a little out of character for Spock to say this, you know, like, hey, this is funny. Yeah, like uh, I would, I would imagine him saying something like mm, interesting or puzzling or something like that. Yeah, something, something overly verbose. Yeah, great depiction of Spock, though. Oh yeah, in that panel looks phenomenal. I did, although the panel after that, not so much. But I love the dramatic <laughs> lighting, uh, shading on his face in this. Uh, in this one it looks it looks great he's kind of looking off into the distance there yeah so th th it would have made sense more to me if that was a, a thought bubble instead of a word bubble oh yeah. yeah and and it's you know the rest of the page he's he's Thinking. using thought bubbles so yeah. yeah so uh 14 page 14 last panel just like uh in the teaser page kirk is a terrible shot yep J wow Starfleet captain who can't shoot straight. I'm telling you, he's always pretty good on the show, but uh, in this comic, he's definitely having some issues. We got pink phasers again, by the way. Yes, just to mention the pink phasers again, and which which look the same as the the phasers that we've been seeing, and not like the Klingon disruptor. Yeah, yeah, they're more like the traditional gold key, almost correct phaser. Right, and on the last panel. On page 14, I had a little bit of a head scratcher because this is where Scotty and McCoy are facing off against Kirk and the other duplicates. And Scotty said, clearly says here, 
They're firing at us. Their phasers are on setting one. Set yours for stun. Talking to McCoy. So they clearly want to stun them. And McCoy is conflicted. He says, me, shoot at my captain. With a, and But you're just stunning him. I mean, yeah. of all people, as the doctor would know, that it's not lethal. Right. And, you know, Kirk and the duplicates are shooting to kill. Scotty said it's on setting one. So why... Are, why would McCoy be skeptical about stunning Kirk, who's clearly out of his mind and trying to kill them? It just, I, I was a little kind of taken aback by that. Well, the, the only thing that I could really think of is just that, you know, it, it would go against his Hippocratic Oath a, a little bit, right? Like, uh, even though it's a stun, it's still, you know, hmm. so this, you think a little this harmful, harm? right? Hmm. Yeah, okay. you know, I mean... Because cause maybe when they fall, they could hit their head or something. Scrape you his know. elbow, yeah. I guess right. so. Uh, that was, that was the, about the best I could come up with. Well, that's good <laughs> enough, I guess. I, I thought it was odd, but that's, that's a decent explanation. Anything else on this short section before we move on to part two of the comic? Well, just that I would have thought that stun would have been setting one, right? Like the lowest setting. Yeah, I don't know if they ever mentioned numeric settings for the phase. I know they had phaser one and phaser two. Yeah. Which were, you know, was was the the hand phaser versus the phaser with the pistol like grip on it, right? Right. So you had the more powerful phaser two. But I don't know if they ever said setting one, setting two. It was always set for stun, set to kill. Um hmm. Yeah, I that makes sense though that setting one would be to stun. Right, like I mean at least if I was if I was going to be designing the interface, I would make the lowest setting <laughs> <laughs> correspond with the lowest number. Yeah, either that I go low, medium, high, or something like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or actually clearly mark it as stun kill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just a little uh, rotator switch knob. Yeah, so there's no doubt <laughs> on what setting your phaser's on. Uh, let's see. All right, so... We are officially on to the what the comic calls part two. There's another captain's log here, and I'll read it to you guys. It says, Captain's log, stardate 3221.9. From the moment our party landed on the supposedly lifeless asteroid, our lives have been under an unexpected threat. Some as yet unexplained life form drains us of strength, makes a mockery of our form, and turns us against each other. And we see Spock yelling. This is something that we talked about a little bit at the end. Spock is yelling at um, Scotty and McCoy to shoot at the duplicates. And this is a little un-Spock-like to me. But we'll hold off here and we'll run through the rest of the section and then come back to this part. Yeah. So just that they're about to shoot, the imposters change into the flashing light aliens and disappear. Scotty and McCoy rush to the shuttle. Just as Spock begins to explain what's happening, the volcano starts to erupt again. Spock rushes out of the galley to bring back the real unconscious Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Calder, and they barely make it back to the craft in time to avoid being smashed by some huge rocks that have been sent airborne by the erupting volcano. Spock believes that the answer to the strange events lies inside the volcano's crater. Scotty's communicator is still functional as it hasn't been drained of energy yet. He hasn't come into contact with any of the entities. So they use his communicator to call to the Enterprise 
and request a fully equipped video camera robot to be beamed down to the planet that can explore the crater. The robot climbs up into the mountain and into the crater, and the crew watches its progress from the shuttlecraft, and the robot sends back pictures of an ancient spacecraft and some skeletons that are scattered around the crater floor. Uh, The robot is surrounded by some of the dancing lights and is destroyed, uh, spawning a duplicate of itself in the process, and the duplicate comes out of the volcano and starts to come back down the mountain to attack the landing party. So the duplicate robot arrives. The crew is almost overcome again by the dancing lights. Spock, in a very weakened state, just barely manages a last-second attempt to contact the Enterprise for help. So we'll stop again here. Uh, Stopping on page 21, by the way. So back to... The second teaser page, or the refresher page, rather, for the second section here, Spock is yelling. Um, Yeah. But he's saying to Scotty, he says, Do not let emotions confuse you. Fire at Kirk and Calder. You must shoot. Kind of almost reminds me of a devil in the dark moment when he's telling Kirk to kill the Horda, right? Right. Yeah. So it's it's a little emotive Spock, but... It's a little out of character. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's kind of brought back into character by him saying, don't let your emotions confuse you. Yep. But it is kind of a, the women moment. <laughs> you know, from, from the cage. When, yeah. Yeah. So Scotty, of course, is in agreement and tells Dr. McCoy to use his phaser because Spock must know what it's about as terrible as it seems. So a lot of conflict here about having to shoot at Captain Kirk. Yeah, which, you know, I mean, I could understand. Yeah, I can understand. Well, I'm telling you, if my captain was shooting to shooting at me, I would damn well shoot back. I, I would too, and, and I'm sure it would hold up in any sort of court martial that they face. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he he's been she was shooting he got off three shots at me before I shot back at him, so I'm well within my rights. Right. Uh page sixteen, panel three. I thought this was a strange phrasing. The security officers, uh, the duplicates rather, turn into the um, the lights and absorb into the ground. And Scotty and McCoy refer to them as, uh, quote, things. Four humans yeah. turn into, quote, things. Yeah, so, and, and when you say, quote, they wrote quotation marks around the word things. things. Yeah, so they I assume that... <laughs> Scotty's actually saying, quote, things, unquote. Right. But, you know, this is one of those things in Gold Key. They always come up with weird ways to uh, classify things like vegetable men. (laughs) Why couldn't they come up with, you know, protein chain alien or something like that? I don't know. (laughs) Right. They could have they identified what they said it looked like. So. They could have made up a name for it. I thought it was went weird that they went with things. Uh, it it really stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, I mean, the the quotation marks alone are just really weird, and and seem like they were. It, it make it it makes it seem like the the dialogue was more for the benefit of the reader than anything that they would actually say to each other. And, uh, and yet, you know, 
with that panel, I mean, they had tons of room for dialogue. They could have just packed it in there if they needed a, you know, some sort of expository, you know, dialogue. It's just, yeah. And, and like you said, you know, they could have just come up with, you know, protein creatures. I don't know. Something, anything could have worked. Um, All right. Well, strange choice, but um, we've seen many strange choices in gold key but 16 panel four i love that mccoy says maybe spock can come up with some answers so spock's role here right. is going to resemble his tos role as the the go-to guy to solve the problems where we've seen a lot of previous issues it falls on other people to come up with those answers so i i like that spock is resuming his traditional role here yeah absolutely and you know the artwork is pretty good throughout this whole section and especially on page uh 17 panel two i love that shot of spock it is really good with that that sound effect behind him there's a lot of sound effects in this one too yeah yeah like boom and rumble and thud and whomp yep (laughs) yeah this whole page is full of them boom yeah that is a good that is a good spock shot as well and i like the action shot in the next in the next panel through the door of the shuttlecraft where you see the, the, um, the air erupting out of the volcano and the rocks being spewed out of it. Right. Cool action shot there. And of course there's the boulders tumbling down the hill and just barely missing the landing party. Yeah. A lot of good action in this page on page 17. Yeah. And well, this is one of those times in gold key where I, I think my my brain tried to put things in more modern terms. And then when I flipped the page to see what they were really talking about, I was like, oh, of course, that's what they meant. When Scotty calls for the video camera robot, he calls up to the Enterprise and, and requests a fully equipped video camera robot. Uh, and Caucasian Uhura answers the call yeah. again. And... um Oh, God. Well, before we get to what I'm actually getting at, I want to say Ahura has a bit of dialogue here. I'm assuming that this is a a writing mechanic, why they put this in here. But Ahura hears Scotty asking for this video camera robot and says out loud, they must want to inspect something they're afraid to face themselves. So I I know that, um, you know, on, on the show, you could... You could, you could glean from the emotions of the actors and actresses how, what they were feeling, right? right. The way they they said their dialogue by their body language, because like, you really can't do that as well in the comic book. So maybe they felt it was necessary to tell the reader by way of Ohura saying this that they were afraid to climb into the volcano and peek themselves. Yeah, this was one where I was like, oh, would it work better if it was a thought bubble? But then, like, it, then it seemed just just as weird. It, it's um, I I, I kind of wish they just had her say something completely different there. I I agree, but so when I read that Scotty line where he's saying, uh, you know, beam down a fully equipped video camera robot. Living in 2016, my brain automatically conjured up a vision of a drone, right? Oh, yeah. Fly into the (laughs) volcano with a little camera on it and survey around. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. 
So flipping the page, <laughs> page 19, panel three. No, I'm way yeah. wrong. It, yeah, it's, a, it's a proper like bipedal. Robot. It is a yes, it's absolutely a it's a 60s chrome plated robot, you know, paired <laughs> with paired with not only is it a 60s chrome robot, it's paired with a pink television. <laughs> yes, a four legged pink television with <laughs> rabbit ear antennas. on. Yes. I was like, wow, was I way <laughs> off? Oh, way off. It's the rabbit ears that really do it for me. <laughs> yeah, and in the, it, that's panel three. You can see the robot who has freakishly long arms standing yep. next to this little television set with the rabbit ear antennas on it. And the next panel you see over, you can really get a good picture of the rabbit ears as Kirk and Spock are staring at what the robot is seeing. So the sole purpose of this robot, this bipedal chrome robot, is to walk around and let Spock and Kirk and whoever else is looking at the TV monitor see what it's seeing. Yeah. So why didn't they go down there with it to, in the first place? <laughs> good call. Good call. Or why didn't they just beam the robot directly into the volcano crater and beam the monitor to Kirk and Spock? Why did why does why do you have to wait for the robot to walk into the volcano? Yeah. That's gotta take I can't imagine that robot moves quickly. No, especially for, you know, like a 1970s robot, it probably, you know, just kind of ambles along. Yeah, some pretty grim looking images on page 20, panel two. Yeah. You've got these skeletons, uh, you know, laying inside the crater. And the, the spaceship that's in there looks pretty neat, though. I like the little telescoping yeah. antenna legs that it's sitting on. It's um, like it kind of looks like, you know, uh, uh, some kind of space pod like nasa would have had yeah almost like a little you know and that time something yeah yeah but then it also looks uh maybe it's just my eyes but on the top of it it looks like a little miniature tos warp nacelle oh yeah yeah good call that's pretty yeah it's up on the top there looks like a little crayon glued to the top yeah and it's got two wings oh it's got a wing on one side i assume there's one on the other side probably yeah so these these poor these poor saps <laughs> Must have landed on this uh, this asteroid and wound up uh, getting their life sucked out of them. That's a shame. And the poor robot, man. I feel bad for this poor robot. And the last panel, he's pretty much taken one to the face there. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, poor the, robot didn't stand a chance against the, uh, the protein monster. Right, so the, the ion-draining protein monster. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, on the page 21, I like in this, this last panel on page 21, I'm thinking I'm seeing for the duplicate members of the crew being sucked up by these uh, energy monsters. They're kind of de half, they're decapitated ghostly figures in the background there. Yeah. Is this the duplication process that we're witnessing or is this the, the sucking up event, the energy process? I think it's like, I, th I don't know. I kind of felt like it was duplicates being remade, but these last few pages, uh, I have to admit, were a little bit confusing to me. I had yeah, I had a hard time following the action. Me too. I was very. I found that uh, across this entire issue, I've had some trouble figuring out exactly what's going on. But um, I, you know, for I did like that Spock acknowledges that 
it was completely logical for the robot to just come back as a duplicate, and yet he failed to anticipate it. Because you see people passed out a few pages on, in, on page 23, and it would seem that those are the same people that are already on the ground on page 21. So see, that's why I thought that on that last panel it was duplicates being reformed. Yeah, you might be right on that. But then you don't see those duplicates again until, yeah, until what is that, page 24? And and then in the meantime, you also have the, the you know, protein creature appearing in, in the meantime. And so it, it was just really, really hard to follow that action, I thought. Yeah, and that continues on to the next part of this that we're going to get into in a second. But um, page 20. One, the last panel, yeah, that we were just talking about, kind of begins a sequence on the next couple pages where we see a lot more of the energy creatures. So we'll move on into this. So Spock calls up to the Enterprise in his um, in his moment of extreme weakness uh, and as a last-ditch attempt, he calls up and asks them to fire a stream of negative ions into the volcano's crater. So the ion blast appears to have no effect at first, but then the glowing lights of the protein monsters fade and reveal these uh, sort of um, intricate frameworks that they're made up of uh, kind of hovering there. So the crew hurries back into the Galileo and they're forced to destroy some of the imposters uh, on the way, including the poor duplicate robot who didn't ask for this. And the the energy creature (laughs) being disabled, Spock is able to restore the power to the shuttlecraft and the crew takes off and heads back to the Enterprise. So we get a couple pages of exposition. Spock explains that the energy creature has only temporarily been disabled, not destroyed. Uh, He goes into a little more detail about what his plan was here at the end. He tells Kirk that the creature was a parasite that drains energy sources to feed and there's a central life core that sends out smaller molecule chains to mimic the energy sources so that it can duplicate and return the energy to feed to the central core. I, I don't know how he knew all this, to be honest with you. All right. Um, big, big jumps for me. So Lieutenant Calder adds that the creature probably lives in hibernation and that the surface movement on the planet was enough to um, to bring it out of hibernation that it could come and suck up more energy. So at the end of the issue, uh, Kirk makes a, uh, a bit of a, oh, let me roll back here a minute. So at the end of the issue here, Kirk says uh, in accord in accordance with Federation laws, the enterprise uh, cannot destroy the energy being. So Kirk must notify Starfleet of the creature's existence on the asteroid and warn other people to stay away from it. So that is pretty much how the issue ends. Uh, not really much of a resolution, more of a just a, yeah. like a, ooh, we encountered this new thing, let's run. Yeah, right. From- like, like, by the way, that exists and I'll make a note of it in my log. Yeah. Roll the credits. You you would think <laughs> you would think by the image in the final panel of this comic on page twenty six, which is very foreboding. You see the Enterprise flying away from the asteroid, but the energy creature is powering itself back up. 
Right. So it's definitely still alive according right. to the end of this comic. And we don't really know. They didn't. They knew how to disable it. They don't know how to destroy it or kill it. So it's highly likely that this thing is going to latch onto other ships that fly near it or it flies near. So I would have thought that maybe they would have or Starfleet wanted to do a little bit more about this problem. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you definitely do get the idea now of why this thing might be considered a threat to the Federation. But like that, that ending just really kind of it it just kind of peters out. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a non-resolution. It's a total yeah. non-resolution. Um, doesn't bring any sort of closure yeah. to the story whatsoever. Rolling back to page 22, panel one. Uhura, they're getting a signal from Spock, but it's very weak. And Uhura says to turn on the sound booster. That, yeah. to me, seems like the wrong terminology. I would think signal booster might have been a little more apt there. Not just boosting the volume. Also, isn't that her job? You would think. <laughs> there, there was one thing that I, I wanted to make a mention of, and that's on page 19. Hmm. I don't know what Spock has in for Calder. <laughs> he just shuts her down for like all the wrong reasons here. So uh, Calder's like, Captain, I believe we are dealing with some parasitic life form that drains life powers from humans. So Kirk's like, do you agree, Spock? And Spock, the science officer, says, we need more concrete evidence before theorizing. A, that should read, we need more concrete evidence before hypothesizing. But B, no, that's not how the scientific method works. You make the hypothesis first. Then you gather the evidence to support it. Right. She, she's exactly right again. <laughs> Spock is science and, officer, though. <laughs> and and he just shuts her down for like n- not even no good reason for a really bad reason that he should know better. <laughs> the Spockian theory. Yeah. The way I he mean, operates uh, in the comic books. <laughs> Oh, I, you know, I do like on the positive note, I do like that they're using the ship's power to fight the alien by shooting the negative oh, yeah. beam down. That's kind of cool. That's very TOS to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that felt like something that would have happened or could have happened in the original series. So kudos to the author for coming up with that. I did love their description of it, though, on um, what is that? Page 22, the ion beam dispenser. <laughs> Like it's like it's something you just put your hand under and hit a pump and, and it squirts ion beams out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> give me a box of ions and the machines the machines out. We need to recharge it. Right. <laughs> oh man. Uh. So page twenty three, panel number one. So we see the powered down version of the energy protein creature. Yeah. Right. So. I guess that means that that energy creature is actually a physical object. It's, yeah. It didn't just disappear. It's actually a physical structure made of some sort of material, whether it's biological or not, which makes me wonder, I mean, how does that thing, how does it melt into the ground like that? Right. If it's a physical 
um, entity. It, we see it tr go through things and through people and through the ground. So that's interesting to me that it's actually they made it actually a physical being as opposed to it just kind of a, a gathering of energies. And 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 not what I would have expected at all. I mean, you got to figure, right, like the, the, the way that it, it's able to change forms and everything is related to how it can like, you know, melt into stuff. So there's probably some sort of, you know, matter energy conversion going on with that thing. Mm which is probably i guess why you know it, it needs you know ions which are which are you know charged like atoms with with an additional or a or a uh, missing electron to get a different charge you know so that, that they get their energy from that and then use it to do all the weird mimicking stuff i don't know it it is an interesting creature isn't it yeah i kind of like it i wish that we had a little more insight into where it came from or what exactly it is. I, this would have been one of the ones where I would love if they were somehow able to communicate with it. Like at the yeah. end of the issue, that was the resolution is that somehow, you know, Spock was able to find a way to talk to it or this Lieutenant Calder, you know, give her a purpose Yeah. in the issue where, you know, you got the special guest star and you need to use the guest star as the one who comes up with the, you know, the ultimate solution, right. To the problem. So it would have been cool at the end if, you know, she came up with a way to communicate with it and, and they resolved it by, you know, convincing it not to kill anybody or something like that. I don't know. Right. You know, a kind of devil in the dark resolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't as evil as they thought it was. Uh, they assumed it was evil, but at the end it was just hungry. Right. <laughs> Eating the wrong things. And they <laughs> they hooked it up with an alternate power source or something. Yeah. Hmm. Send it to an asteroid field or something. Yeah, there you go. That robot just <laughs> they they brought it down seemingly just to waste this incredibly complex and sophisticated you know uh, robot right mm -hmm. like uh, this thing moves it has hands and legs and and even a mouth for some reason and you know it can send back telemetry and they send it in the volcano and then it just uh, gets eaten up. <laughs> yeah. It seems like kind of a waste. And what, and we have to assume that this is not the only one of those. They right. Have, maybe they have, they have a whole stock room full of those things. Is there like a cargo container in a cargo yeah. bay that has, you know, 10, 15 of them suckers in there? Yeah. I, I, I imagine, uh, yeah, some sort of, um, cargo bay or something of just them sitting there like uh i don't know where i'm going with this <laughs> well well let's divert to uh, page 23 in the last panel spock's conclusion that the standing figures are the doubles does not seem to follow any sort of logical pattern to me uh i don't know how he came up with that the only thing that I could think of would, would be that the ones that are on the ground would be the ones that had, you know, their energy drained. So if that's the case, uh, that's just, yeah, maybe you're right. I, I, I'm confused with the way the panels are drawn. See, yeah. And, and because you, you also get the feeling that, right, like the, the creature itself that you saw, like it's light fade. And so then, you know, like it's drained of energy. So then 
couldn't the duplicates also be on the ground having been drained of energy? I, I, so it is ambiguous. Yeah, it's really strange because because the the central panel in that page has Scotty pointing at three <laughs> figures laying on the ground saying, shoot them, they are dangerous doubles. He's not pointing at anybody standing up. In fact, there's a there's a steep hill right behind where those things right. are, those people are laying down. So I had assumed he was pointing at the the doubles that are laying on the or the people laying on the ground saying to shoot them. Yeah. And then Spock says the people that are standing are the ones that they need to shoot. And you see, I guess, two Kirks in the background there. So just I guess it's confusing the way that it's yeah. drawn. Yeah, absolutely. And this was this was part of the whole bit that was just hard to follow. Um, the only the only thing that makes sense in all of this is that it makes sense that the duplicates would not be as good at firing phasers. Potentially. And that's why they would be missing on. Yeah, that's that's entirely possible. But on page twenty four in the first panel, I think that there's an error there. If you see what I mean, Spock was never duplicated. So why is he standing among the duplicates who are being shot? Yeah. Yeah, that's not McCoy. Mm-mm. That is clearly Spock standing between uh, Kirk and uh, Calder there. And they're being vaporized by the security guards. So uh, strange that he would somehow suddenly be behind them. Because in the, the panel at the beginning, at the end of the last page, he was standing up against the side of the shuttlecraft. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think that might have been a little error on the part of the artist there, putting a, a Spock amongst the duplicates. All right. So the wrap-up to this, to me, seems slightly far-fetched, but feels pretty Star Trek. Uh, I like that Spock, you know, deduced that the entity absorbed positive ionic energy and therefore mm. bombarding it with negative ions would uh, neutralize or destroy it. So yeah. that's that's pretty cool. I like that. That very seems very original series to me. Yeah. And then so I I had this thought, right? Mhm. Why wouldn't they leave behind, you know, a warning buoy? Mhm. You know that would follow this asteroid around. And so I think the reason that they didn't was because they knew that if they did, then the thing would just absorb its power and render it inert. And so then that's why they had to just, uh, you know, put some sort of uh, broadcast notice, you know, like just just put it in the star charts. Hmm. That seems like a very Starfleet thing to do. So uh, because they made a general order to keep you from going uh, to the to cage Talos, to Talos, yeah. right? Talos four. So uh, you would think this is pretty dangerous, too. Yeah, not yeah it's, going it's not good. <laughs> yeah, maybe they need to get. um they need to get Dr. Soren to redirect that asteroid somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. I, I do like this. There's one little exchange. Like if you just take the on, on uh, the last page, panel three, if you take the last sentence of Calder's word bubble and the first sentence of Spock's word bubble mm -hmm. and just – and if you just pretend that that's the only thing that they say, it's a great little exchange. It's, but Mr. Spock, how did you neutralize it? With logic. <laughs> that's a very Spock-like response. I like that. It totally is. Yeah. 
That's a, it's a good I I I as far fe- and weird and as it sounds I I do like the resolution as far as how Spock figured out how to get them out of there. That's pretty cool. The, the next panel though is a little bit awkward. The the captain's log supplement which he says in accordance yeah. with Federation bylaws bylaws we did not destroy the life form on Tactus 2. Even now, the life form is probably active again. It will be seeking other energy sources. Be warned. I, you know, number one, Federation bylaws. No, um, yeah, probably pretty much prime directive, right? Although, yeah, although if Kirk is choosing right now to adhere to these quote unquote bylaws, I feel really bad for the obsession cloud. I feel yes. really bad for the salt vampire. Yeah, the space I mean, amoeba. Space amoeba. I mean, he kills everything. But <laughs> yep. just this one time, you know, I'm going to have a little mercy. I'm going to stick to the bylaws. Yeah. Going to let this energy sucking creature go. You know, I leave a, a trail of dead aliens in my wake, but <laughs> <laughs> you're okay by me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Little question. I mean, you duplicated me and I'm great. So how bad can you be? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, any more that you want to say about this before we go into our essential voting? Mm, no, no. Pretty much said it all. Okay. Well, I'm going to shock the world and I'm going to say that I'm calling this one essential. And the only one and only reason why I'm going to call this essential is because we learn one very important thing that the Enterprise carts around huge chrome robots that they can (laughs) use for video surveillance. Now, granted, this does not continue into other TV shows or um, uh, or or other uh, animated shows or movies in any way, shape or form. So this is a non-canon essential. But I love the fact that they have this robot. I mean, how useful would this thing have been on the oh, show? You, you incredibly. Beam this thing down instead of a landing party, and everyone can just kind of hang out on the ship with their feet up, watching stuff through these robots' eyes as the robot wanders around. I mean, how many situations would they have avoided? Uh, how many red shirts needlessly <laughs> died because they didn't right. use these robots that they had sitting in the cargo bay? I mean, really. And you know what? I thought... What what if what if we wanna we wanna do a little gold key retconning? What if Doctor Soong invented this robot? What if this is maybe an early data or lore prototype? Maybe the original data was just a a, a dumb shell that walked around and and you know videotaped stuff. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, why not? I mean, Enterprise can can wedge Doctor Soong into anything. So so can we. <laughs> Yeah, I did always wonder uh, how did Eric soon have any descendants from while while in prison. <laughs> we don't know the answer to that, <laughs> but we do know that now that we have giant chrome humanoid robots that that walk around yes. videotaping stuff. So, uh, how do you vote? Well, I have to disagree with you on this one. Fair um, although the concepts in this were interesting, and it did introduce some some kind of new stuff technology wise like the robot and the explanation of the ion powered shuttle engines i feel like the just the execution of it the the way that everything just became really really confusing at the end Mm. made it so that it just didn't 
it, it didn't feel Star Trek-y enough, right? Like, because Star Trek stories, at least, you can you can follow them smoothly, True. you know, all, all the way through. And and the fact that this didn't do that just kind of leads me to say, well, this one's going to be non-essential because it just it's just not meeting the bar. Okay, fair enough. So we have a conflicting vote for this issue. And that about wraps up our coverage of Gold Key Comics, issue number 28, The Mimicking Menace. And you can find out more about our show and more about our other series on the tricordertransmissions.com. Stop by and take a look there. And we're also on social media, facebook.com slash the tricordertransmissions and Twitter at TTT underscore pod. If you want to connect with us personally, um, I am on Twitter at J underscore Benj, J underscore B-E-N-J. Ian, where can they find you? at ian128k on twitter awesome so we look forward to hearing from all of you and if you would be so kind if you want to take a spin over to itunes and leave us a review that would be wonderful if you want to type something up about the show and what you think of us we'd love it or if you just want to leave a quick star review that would be really really helpful as well and uh, you know stop by on facebook or twitter and tell us what you think of the show we'd love to talk to you and hear what you have to say. In fact, I think uh, we had a new uh, listener chime in on our Facebook today who just started listening to some of our commentaries on TOS. So it was nice to see that some people are discovering the show um, even you know a year or two after we've released them. So awesome that uh, it's still standing the test of time. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, fantastic stuff. So thanks, as always, for tuning in, everybody. And we'll see you again next week with more Tricorder Transmissions. Mm-hmm.